the gospel message in the West has been about the one big yes and salvation to the Father in heaven's paradigm is after you say yes to Jesus, it's actually a bunch of, a lot of little yeses. Ascending the mountain, ascending the mountain is not your one big yes to Jesus. That's called going to base camp. This message is not for someone outside of Christ. This series, Ascending the Mountain, is about people inside of Christ. Paul says 189 times in Christ. This is a sermon series on fear of the Lord and how to be close to him. You know how in uh, Psalms it says, enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise? Well, the way you enter the enemy's courts is through gossip and slander and bickering and bitterness and complaining. Like complaining is actually the language of hell. So you have, listen to me, you have a lot of people who are in Christ, but enter the enemy's courts more than they do the father's courts. So you can ascend the mountain of God if you want to, but you actually can be in Christ and be descending the mountain of the enemy and not know it. Well, it's not that big a deal. Well, it may not be a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to God. And see, the God that you love so much in the middle of your disobedience may not lose your eternal security, but it actually puts you in harm's way of the enemy on a daily basis. This is not a series about your eternal destination. This is a series on how to ascend the mountain of God while you're here. And that's what I want to talk about. The only way you walk in friendship with God is through a bunch of little yeses. And today I want to talk about a man that besides Jesus Christ in scripture, he's given God more yeses than anyone I can find without any no's. You know, there's only like one king in all of the Old Testament that finished well. One, does that scare anybody? I mean, I'm throwing King David into that. If you evaluate his life post Bathsheba, it didn't go too well. But there's this one character in scripture that is belligerently obedient. That's what I want to be. I want to be belligerently obedient. His name is Samuel. He's really, really interesting fellow. See, like these days you say, oh, a prophet's in town. He comes in, he prophesies over a couple of people, goes to a lot of conferences, helps steward a church. Back in the old days, a prophet would, uh, they were a little more rough than that. If Samuel came into your town, you would be more petrified at Samuel coming than you would be like another warrior figure. Even King Saul one day, getting ahead of myself, he's like, everything okay? Why are you here? It, we, we all have that one intercessor in our lives that when they walk towards us, we kind of just do this right here. <laughs> Multiply that times a million with Samuel. But before we get to the end of his life, let me talk a little bit about him. Hannah cannot get pregnant. She prays so hard to God to have a child that Eli, the priest, thought she was literally drunk. When's the last time your prayer life concerned someone that you were intoxicated? This is fascinating. We're going to read more scripture today than many of us have read this year. Let's go to 1 Samuel 1.11. I got no booger jokes, no funny stories, and I'm not skinny, but I can preach the word. Here we go. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord. Some of you don't understand lamenting because you've been misled to think since you're charismatic, you can't really be real and raw with the Lord. 
perhaps your biggest breakthrough is on the other side of your honest lamenting. You know, read the Psalms. Instead of faking it and acting like you and God are okay, sometimes you just need to tell God you're not okay. She said, God, I'm not okay. Look in my misery, I need you. I'll give him to you if you give him to me for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Let's go to 1 Samuel 1, 22 through 25. Here comes that boy and at age of four, he begins his destiny. You gotta be careful thinking that your destiny is way out in the future. A minute ago, I was looking at Josiah Page and Joseph's kid over here and I was watching him eat during worship and I was, or when, when he was up here and I was just smiling. See, a lot of us don't realize that God uses little kids and if we're not careful, we'll think that our destiny is out there. I'm serious, I'm not trying to be all like hyper-spiritual young people. Your destiny is right now, right now. Four years old, this is what happens. Hannah did not go. She said to her husband after the boy's winged, I will take him, present him before the Lord and he will live there always. Next verse, do what he seems best to you. Her husband, uh, Elkanah, told her, stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah, a flower, skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. Most scholars believe he was four years old. He's given his own tunic. He begins working at a place called Shiloh where the Ark of the Covenant would have been. At the age of four, he is ministering unto the Lord. That blesses me. There's a passage in Acts that said they ministered unto the Lord and it blessed him greatly. What in the world does it mean to minister unto God? Well, it might mean what happened with Paul and Silas. They're in prison. They're tied up. There's nothing they can do other than ministering to the Lord. They're telling the Lord how awesome he is. Chains break. They don't run for their freedom because they're not more connected to a promise than they are a covenant. They hang in there. They lead the jailer to the Lord. He gets saved. They go to his house. What I'm trying to say is this. Eli watches Samuel be presented to him at age four and Eli is on boss status at age four. Very unusual to be given a tunic that he was given. He was a big deal at age four. Perhaps what God said through Jeremiah is true. Perhaps God knew Jeremiah before he formed Jeremiah in the womb. Perhaps your story was written before you were even born. Have you ever considered that one day you're gonna be held accountable in heaven on the Bema seat of Christ? Not, did you come into Christ or not? Were you obedient to the narrative that was written over your life before you were even born? Samuel's story was written before he was born. Jesus' story was written before he was born. We all have stories. Very few choose the narrow road to walk it out. Very few do it, statistically. There's only one disciple at the cross when Jesus is at the cross. Where are the other 11? They gone. If not for the the grace of Jesus Christ, Simon Peter would probably pull to Judas. Jesus showed back up. He cooked barbecue fish for his disciples after he was resurrected. Peter rejoins. There's not many Samuels. There's only one king that finishes pure. Most people choose the wide road, which means this. You ready? I do what I want to do when I want to do it, if it feels good. The road in the kingdom on the mountain is very narrow. And the practical way that you walk the narrow road, there's only one way a bunch of little obedient steps along the way every day until you're done. Do you know that your life here is only a dress rehearsal of your life there? What you do in obedience here is rewarded there forever. 
I'm gonna read you a verse that I found this morning while I was preparing. Listen to these two verses. One is in Hebrews and it says this, if I can find it here. Paul says, um, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised when you have done the will of God. It doesn't say when you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior because you didn't want to go to hell. You see, the way that the gospel is presented in the West, Jesus never preached that way. Heaven really has no idea this statement, what it means in terms through the biblical paradigm, which is this. If you died right now, where would you go? Jesus never preached that way. Paul never ministered that way. The invitation was always, if you would like to deny yourself and follow me, and give you my life and I give you your life and us becoming covenant with each other, then, then come for that invitation. Not many invitations are given in the church in the West that are as biblical as the ones Jesus gave. Who would like to deny themselves, choose the narrow road, you not have any more rights and follow me wherever I lead you the rest of your life? I'm not so sure about that, rich young ruler. But you give an invitation of, hey, anyone don't wanna go to hell throughout all eternity? Absolutely, what do I need to say? What do I need to pray? Well, you just need to agree like the demons agree that you just believe that there is a Jesus. No, the invitation to the God life is this. Who would like to lay down their life so you can find it? Who would like to have no more rights? Who would like to be my disciple? <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it's interesting. The number one commandment in the satanic Bible, this is a literal satanic code of conduct. The number one commandment is do whatever thy willst. Do what you want to do, when you want to do, and how you want to do it. That describes a lot of God's kids. The commandment in the kingdom of God is this. If you would like to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow Jesus Christ, have no more rights, and to be a laid down doulos, lover of God. Y'all wait till Heidi Baker comes here. Y'all don't, listen, don't be giving me dirty looks. Everybody's all excited about hearing Heidi. Randy Clark asked Heidi, do you want Mozambique? She said, yes, God knocks, knocks her out for five and a half days. The country of Mozambique has been transformed through Heidi and Roland. But here's what you don't know. You don't know the stabbings. You don't know the beatings. You don't know the kidnappings. You don't know the two incurable diseases. You don't know the backside of things. Anybody's going to say yes to an invitation that's a therapy gospel that just makes me feel good because he died to make me comfortable. No, he did not. He died and resurrected and ascended to give you an invitation for you to be joined in the Father in covenant where you have no more rights, where you're his actual child. See, there's a lot of people. I'm, I'm not even a mean person. Please hear me on this. There's a lot of people in the West that think they're in Christ and they're not. We've created a consumer culture, a consumer form of discipleship to where it's no different than the YMCA. Hey, tell me what services your church gives me. What kind of coffee do you serve? Why is the air not colder? Uh, what, what's in it for me? In the kingdom, it's, Father, my life is yours. What's in my life for you? It's really nothing more than me saying, hey, whatever you want. Here's what's funny. Some of y'all don't know my story. You don't know my story that this is the last thing I wanted to do. I never wanted to do this. If you'd have shown me a picture dressing like this and preaching in a church and pastoring, I, I never would have chose that. I would have chose a, a wilder go to Haiti, live with Gary, start the compound there. God had to groom me. He had to break me. He had to harness me. I, life is not about what you want to do when you want to do it. What if the only way you knew you were in Christ, if you were laid down and you were completely surrendered and you said, Father, just bend me. I, I, I've only told this story, I think one other time. I got, and someone really got offended with what I said. But when I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, 
The night I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I was by myself. And this is what I said. Father, I want you more than anything I've ever wanted. And even if it cost me my marriage, my family, and my everything, I want you. I wasn't praying that God would ruin my marriage. Someone misunderstood me there. And you say, well, why would you pray that way? I prayed that way because I became so hungry. It's, I don't have, I just, I want you. And I want all of you. And I need you. The, the, the gospel is about complete and utter surrender. How surrendered are you? Because you cannot ascend the mountain if you're not surrendered. There are people in this room right now, and you think it's okay to sort of, kind of be in covenant with him. There is no sort of, kind of in covenant. There's, there's no such thing. God doesn't even know what it is. Just because you believe it, it doesn't make it true. This morning, I went to... Um, IHOP to have an omelet. Give God sugar and then you can eat three things, eggs, cheese, and eggs. And I go eat an omelet and I just got a picture that God's called me. All I am is like a needle that just pops balloons. Because when we start believing lies, eventually it's not that big a deal right up front, but a, a bunch of lies believe and acted on is the compound interest of descending a mountain and not ascending. This, this, what I'm about to show you with Samuel, I've never seen it till last night. Had no idea. I was prepared a week ago to say this, had no idea. All right, so watch this. He serves, go to 1 Samuel 2, 26. Um, Eli's sons, it was gonna be passed down to them and they would become priests. Small problem, they were corrupt. But there's one who wasn't corrupt. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Sounds like Luke 2, 52, doesn't it? And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Can I just say this? Don't look in the rearview mirror, even on your stories with God and your past, hardly at all. Because what really matters is what are you doing with him right now? You say, well, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 30. That's not, okay. Are you growing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man? Because if you're not, that should scare you a little bit. I get really nervous people telling me stories of what happened 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. What happened this morning? I'm serious. He's a present tense God. That's why Paul says, put your hand in the plow and never look back. Any counseling that's always looking back, you're going to get stuck. You may be going 100 miles an hour, but it's in reverse. The greatest in the kingdom or present future tense mind, it says Graham Cook, and he's spot on with that. Put your hand to the plow. Are you currently growing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man? Well, Samuel was, and here we go. The absolute passage where I shot off the bed last night and I said, God, you're amazing. This to me, there is nothing like revelation. First Samuel 3, 7. Y'all want some revelation? First Samuel 3, 7. This is a strange verse. He's already been serving. He's already been anointed. He's already been prophesied. His story has already been written before he was even born. But this strange passage, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Time out. He is serving the Lord and the ark is right there. He's in Shiloh with the ark and did not know the Lord. Just sit on that for a second. Just because you're around the things of God does not mean you know him. All right. the procreation, the fertilization process of a child coming to the earth, the process of trees producing fruit, crop, 
where there is no seed, there is no harvest, correct? Now, the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The seed that would produce the harvest field of an amazing run, he would end up becoming a judge, had not been released yet. Once the seed was released, little boy hears this at night. He thinks it's Eli, Samuel. Samuel, go to Eli, go to Eli, Samuel. Third time, Eli says, I'm not calling you Samuel. The father will be the burning bush in your life. My suggestion is when the word of the Lord and the seed is dropped, you better receive it and you better learn how to fertilize it and you better learn how to hold the seed so that what the word is coming to tell you and to build in you can be released through you after a period of time When Samuel received the word, he cooperated with the seed. You can drop seed on hard ground. If the soil doesn't cooperate with the seed, it won't produce any harvest. The word of the Lord has come to many people in my life that I've known, and they didn't receive it, and the word of the Lord passed on from them to someone else. There's always someone waiting for you in your shepherd's field, I promise. Your training ground is someone else's shepherd's field. One small disobedience from you may not be a big deal to you. It's a big deal to the one that holds holiness at a high value. There is always someone waiting to take the word that was meant to go to you. Samuel is ministering unto the Lord, but he had not yet received the word. The word know here. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word is yadah. It was a picture of intimacy inside the context of marriage. Ascending the mountain is only about one thing. It's about walking in intimacy with God. Now, Samuel did not yet know God intimately, but that's all about to change. One of the biggest fears of my life is being around the things of God and not knowing him intimately. I'm telling you right now as this pastor, as the pastor of this church, if God said, Chad, do you want worldwide fame and people in heaven and earth to know you and influence and this and that, or do you want to know me? I'm telling you right now. All I want is to know him. You know, some of you right now, if a a famous politician or a famous musician or someone famous walked in here, you would be awestruck. Do you understand that your literal father is God? Do you know that you get to enter the courts of heaven and talk to your father? My son, Sam, he's he's, uh, 15, starting uh, 10th grade tomorrow. In the past week, he's had three times where the father will show him something right before it happens and it's not revolutionary. It's been three people that the father will be talking to him about and then he sees them at random places. You tell me what's more exciting than being intimate with the God of the universe that knows your name and you know his ways and you talk to him? Some of you fall apart like a $3 bill when someone gossips about you. What does it matter if you're intimate with God? I'm serious. Some of us have such a weak view of God with the problems we're going through. We magnify the hell we're walking through and we don't know we can do this. You know why? Because you don't know God. You do not know the Lord. It's, when you are intimately connected to God, problems decrease really fast. Jesus Christ, he wakes up. Simon Peter says, do you not care if we die? And the Lord says, Simon, where's your faith? When you know God, you can sleep in storms. I have such a tangible peace. It's raining. It's just like raining on the stage. Father, we love you. We just say we adore you. We honor you. You're amazing. You're an amazing father. We exalt thee. I exalt thee in this house. I exalt you. You are awesome. 
You are awesome in this place, mighty God. You are awesome in this place. Father, I thank you for these children. I thank you for the chatter of children in this room. I just thank you for the kids. I, I bless downstairs as we finish this renovation project and build out towards the future here. I pray that you would raise up a generation of students that don't know any other way than intimacy with you. That they wouldn't even have a, they don't have to overcome all the crud we had to overcome and stuff we had to relearn. We love you. I just thank you for this revelation. We want to be like Samuels and be connected to you. Now, here's what I love about the first word that God gives Samuel, the prophet. He's a kid. He makes Samuel go to Eli and give him this word. First Samuel chapter three. Now watch this. Some of you want to be drug along God, by God slowly. Sometimes it don't work that way. He likes to throw you in fire. The first word he gets in first Samuel three eleven. do we have that? Is he has to go give Eli a bad word. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from the beginning to end. This is the priest. The father gets upset at the priest and says, Samuel, go tell Eli he's barbecue. Okay, next verse. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. And Eli says, it's over. And I love, uh, Samuel tells Eli it's over. And I love Eli's response. He says, okay. And Samuel is raised to a new and prominent position. And for the sake of time, let me speed up. Now what happens is Israel is handed into Samuel's hands. Why? Not because he was anointed. Eli was anointed too. Your anointing means nothing when you mix the concoction of disobedience with it. You would rather, you would rather have a delayed anointing and a lifestyle of obedience than a big anointing and a concoction of disobedience. Ah, Father, I know you told me not to start that business. I start. It's no big deal because it's grace. It's grace. No, it's stupidity. That's what it is. Do what he says, when he says, and how he says it. Here's how you ascend the mountain of God. Here I am, Father. I need your wisdom. I need your revelation. I have no opinions. I'm a laid down. What do you need from me? What do you want from me? When Randy Clark asked Heidi if she wanted Mozambique, she said, I don't do children. And God said, you do now. She was a missionary in Asia. She didn't, she was done with children and you do now. Now she lives in the dirt. She lives in the bush bush. Now God's desires have become her pleasure. As Paul, as he progresses through his ministry, it gets worse in the natural and he gets lighter in the spirit. It only gets heavy when you walk outside of your covenant rights with God. And your covenant rights are not promises to make you comfortable. They're promises to bring you into the holiness and a relationship with God. None of this is about you. Your narrative is not about you. He, is, he has been talking to me about the next leader of this church for, for so long. And see, in God's mind, he's always about 50 years ahead. Always. What you're tilling the ground for is not for you. I asked somebody this morning, I said, is it not more fun to buy a present for someone than it is for yourself? He said, absolutely. Is it not more fun for a parent to leave an inheritance to a well-respected man or woman of character as a son or daughter? It's more fun to give than to receive. Whoever told you your assignment was for you in the first place? 
and you want to be friends with God and you don't think that it's going to cost you your own death? What are we listening to? It's like, no, I'm, I'm more connected to the promise of God. I really don't want to build intimacy with him. I just want to go to that one church that says I can be rich if I pray the right way. And, we, and these churches blow up and they have 20,000 people because they spend 90% of the time talking about how God will provide for your financial needs. Where the church is saying God will provide for you if you'll just give him all of you, you'll have the privilege to die and then he can put resurrection power on who you are. If you ever become more concerned with one of his promises than who he is, you're not, you don't know him. You don't know him. You don't know him. This whole thing, the pleasure is dying. And then his resurrection hits you and it's like, this is awesome. I should be miserable, I'm not. You know that I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life right now? Uh, Amanda told something to Jack Hancock one time. She said, Jack, um, the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is killing and burying Mount Zion Fellowship. Did you not say that? For only one purpose, to resurrect it. You know what he wants to do, this congregation now of about 1,000? He wants to kill us well. Watch this. So he can use us as seed to be spread into the ground and us to watch over the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. What comes forth from our obedience to dying well? I'm preaching better than you're listening, Helms. You say, oh, death sounds miserable. No, no, no. It's the opposite. That's why when Jesus said, hey, 72, come here. I'm going to pair you up in twos. Go heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Oh, yeah, don't take anything with you. If you, you can't ascend the mountain with a bunch of stuff. I've had five things this week where I'm like, Father, I don't know what to do. And I finally just said, Father, this is your problem, not mine. All five of them like dominoes. Boop, 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 boop. He's my Lord. He's my owner. My bills are his bill. My destiny is his destiny. I really shouldn't worry. What if worry was looked at as bad as sexual addiction is or alcoholism is? Oh, but no, worry is not a big deal. Are you sure about that? Because I know people that struggle with lust that don't struggle with, with worry, and they are more pure than people who struggle with worry. Because people who struggle with worry take their own life into their own hands. They don't need a God because they can self-sustain themselves and they can just pull those bootstraps up. They don't need a Lord and Savior. But the sex addict, the person struggling with alcohol, the drug addict, they're on their face saying, I need you to even breathe. I need you. I need you. I need you. A person with a critical spirit is in more trouble with the Father than other people that we think are in big trouble. Anything you put in your life that says, I don't need God, worry. Because worry is you saying, I don't trust you, Father. You're not enough for me, and i got to figure this out on my own. I have been so deeply convicted over worry, so deeply convicted over. I'm done with it. And I'm not talking about this college phase of, hey, Duder, it's going to be okay. I'm not saying that. We need to be responsible. We know what worry is, though. Worry is saying, Father, step off the throne because I need to be on there because I need to figure this out. I'm speaking right to myself. Can we go to um, 1 Samuel 15, 26? This is the worst moment in Samuel's life. Let me tell this story really quick. Samuel told the people, you don't want a king. Don't do this. They kept badgering God. If you badger God a lot of times, what he'll do is give you what you don't need and then say, I tried to tell you, you don't need this. You keep badgering him, he'll say, okay, go for it. They wanted a king like the other people groups and God said, I wanna be your king. 
and Samuel said, don't do this. Well, Samuel gets so mad, but God says, no, Samuel, they don't have a problem with you. The problem is with me. Give them the king. And Samuel laments and mourns. He anoints Saul. Saul has the same anointing that David did. He anoints Saul. Saul starts off well, and then it goes wrong. Saul steps into impurity, and Samuel says, you've done a foolish thing. And uh, let's just read right here. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Please listen to me. I'm not some eloquent speaker, but I got something to say right now. You cannot deny that old covenant principles translate into the new covenant. If you don't receive the word of the Lord over your life, demotion or even destruction will come to you the same way it did in the Old Testament. God's word to you is not just like a little suggestion where he's insecure and hope you receive it. If you want to choose out of being in covenant with him by doing your own thing when you want to do it, don't get upset and mad when you can't figure out why no door will open. You can't do it your way and say you're in covenant with God. You can't. Some of you need to quit trying to get linked in and connected in this resume and that resume. Just die. Just say, God, my life is yours. And then just hush and enjoy him and minister unto him. And then watch doors just fly open. You don't need competency only. You need character and purity to say, God, all I need is you. I don't need to connect with Chad. You don't. I don't need to connect with that person in leadership at my job. You need to connect with Abba. Your father, that's it. You don't need your spouse to be your God. You don't need your children to be your idol. All you need is covenant with one. All right, watch this. I got to hurry. Forgive me, I'm more tangled up than a bill dance tackle box. He denounces him as king. Samuel mourns. And then 1 Samuel 16, 13. He goes to David, the next king. You want to know why he picked David as king? Jesse says, it's this one. Samuel goes, nope, nope, nope. No, nope. and then there's one down the shepherd's field. Here's what I love about Samuel. It's just a bunch of little yeses. My wife said something profound on this stage this morning. Ascending the mountain is just a bunch of little yeses that, that, that wind up as compound interest. Samuel did what God said when God said it, and he never leaned on his own anointing. He leaned on the Father's wisdom over his life. The most powerful thing you can pray over your life is, Father, teach me to think the way you think over every situation in my life. He'll dominate the enemy. You'll wear him out. I'm telling you, he'll take a sabbatical from you. I'm not kidding. I'm telling you, the enemy wears some of us out. Why don't you start wearing him out? When's the last time you've been angry at what he's been stealing from you? Say, Father, I ask that you give me the revelation and wisdom on everything I'm going through to see it the way you see it. And then you're like, I'm not even that anxious anymore. That's kind of the way it works. It's just, I do it your way and you open doors. The, the, the Zoe eternal life is about lightness and full connection to my covenant God. I kind of like it when enemies come after me in the spirit. You want to know why? It's another chance for me to learn who I am and who he is in my life in that current season. Yes. <laughs> All right. He anoints him and he says, uh, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Here's what I love about Samuel. He didn't care. Samuel didn't pick David. God did. Samuel's the mouthpiece. Samuel didn't want Saul. He picked him. I close with this. The verse that summarizes Samuel up, and it's the only way to ascend the mountain, is 1 Samuel 15, 22. This right here is better than anything. 
But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. In Acts, in Acts, they called the church the way. In Acts 13, he would be called the greatest judge of them all. He got so elevated his whole life. He shows up even in conversation in Hebrews with Moses and Aaron. Samuel was an awesome man. And he got there from one way. He never leaned on the anointing. He was obedient and obedient and obedient and obedient. You'll meet him one day. He's still obedient. You'll meet him one day. Remember when they said about the Lord, doesn't his zeal just burn for the house of his father? You see, Jesus, Jesus didn't really have to wrestle much with obedience. The only time I can see in Jesus' life where he says, Father, this is, this is hard, was, was the cup of suffering. But even then, he said, bring it on. He tackled the cross for you. He wanted your shame. It was his pleasure to descend into hell and to tell the wicked spirits and demons what was going on. It was his pleasure. It was the Lord's pleasure to die for you. It was the Lord's pleasure to provide for you a way to step into a better covenant. And all he asks in return is you to give him your life and be dead to yourself. I'm gonna stand before God one day, be held accountable to this. I'm telling you, he's raising up voices like mine. There are a lot of invitations being given in the church of the West. They aren't invitations. Heaven doesn't know what they are. The invitation is, would you like to be a disciple of Jesus? Would you, somebody asked me the other day, how do I know if I'm born again? I said, that's an easy question. Are you following Jesus? And it's like, I don't like that question. Well, there's no other question I can find in scripture. The invitation of the gospel is follow me. The rich young ruler believed in him and still went his own way. In John six, they said, this is getting too hard for me. And the Lord said, no problem. He was so secure. He didn't run him down. He turns to Simon Peter and says, where are you going? Simon says, I'm going anywhere. I'm going right here. You know this, when all hell breaks out against you, you know what's awesome about that? Even if your promises are not manifesting, it's going in the opposite way. There's something that no one can take from you. They can't take away your wedding ring, your wedding band with the lover of your soul. He's the stronger party in the covenant. As for me and my house, I can't speak for anyone else, but as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the one I'm in covenant with and come hell or high water, I don't care what comes. I don't care. I don't care. 11 of the disciples died horrific deaths. You get to a point where you don't fear the end. You don't fear your past. You don't fear people coming against you. The only thing you fear is the God of the universe. And fearing God is being obedient all along the way. It's what separates the men from the boys, the girls from the women. Everybody's got rhetoric. Everybody's got a lot of talk. But you can't fake obedience. And this is what I love about what God is showing me is that the only metric of friendship with God is yes, 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 yes. Father, I thank you for this house. I thank you for these kids. I thank you for what's happened in the past few weeks with these kids being in here. I just, uh, is, the, is Jessica and Kimmy and Kimberly in here? Who's in here? Will y'all come up here? Is Jessica in here? There she is. Where's, um, is Kimberly here? They're out of town, aren't they? Y'all can just stand right there. Can I get elders to lay hands on these two and just, uh, well, act like Kimberly's here. And let's just pray fire all over um, children's ministry. Hey, kids, come up here and lay hands on Miss Kimmy and Miss Jessica. Let's just pray. Claude, y'all go and start praying. Just pray out loud. Pray for our children. Pray that it be a generation that would lead other generations. If you're a kid in here, come up here and lay hands. Just pray. Pray out loud.